Hello and welcome to Church in Context. This is season one, episode four. We've made it. Wow. Episodes. Jonah, how are you today? Good. This is our this is this podcast's one month anniversary, isn't it? It is. One wow. month anniversary. So far. That's right. Incredible. Well, thanks for joining me again, Jonah. My name is John. Uh, we are I wrote in the in the description of of this show that we're youth ministry gurus does that does that work <laughs> I mean, well, here's the thing. I'm, I'm at the stage now right where i'm i'm only about uh, a month into doing uh kind of the minister role i'm in now as, as a youth director so if you asked me last week i'd be like yeah i've got this but now i'm at the point where i'm starting to realize maybe there's things i need to work on <laughs> <laughs> no i think once you get to that point where you realize that you're not as good as you think you are. <laughs> yeah. You actually are a guru. So, that, okay, yeah. Well, direction. <laughs> hey, and I just want to give a quick shout out to our sponsor, Student Connection. So we're going to be, I believe, featured on their website next week. Next weekend would have been the weekend of Student Connection, but because of COVID stuff, it, it got postponed. Um, but instead, they're doing a bunch of online content. We're part of that. So want to invite you all next week. That will be November 5th, I believe. I'm going to look at my calendar again. Is that right? Yeah, November 5th at 4 p.m. Pacific time. Uh, join us on this YouTube channel, Church in Context, where we'll be streaming live. If you missed the live stream, that's okay. We'll be recording for podcasts as well. So really excited for that for next week. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's going to be awesome. Yeah, Student Connection, the way that they pivoted has been awesome. Uh, originally, they were planning on doing an, an in-person event, and then they thought about maybe doing a live stream. But uh, the more that they thought about it, the more they realized that the most effective use of their time and their resources and their energy was just to empower people to make resources uh, to help out the church. So um, the fact that they have such a heart for ministries, for uh, what the church is doing, and, and for missions uh, really shows just by the fact that you know, when everything else kind of fell apart, they still wanted to be empowering people uh, to be resources. So yeah, shout out to them, not only because they're our sponsors, but because they're phenomenal people. Shout out to Student Connection, love it. Well, let's go ahead and transition to our first segment of the show. And that is kind of telling a funny, but real news story. Mm-hmm. We actually need to like name the, the segment and maybe we'll get our, our live stream to to kind of help us out with actually naming the oh, segment. I like it. But basically this is this is not fake news. This is real news that is just hilarious. And for me, what stuck out this week, uh first off was something that wasn't a big deal, but the headline was just amazing. Mm. Was that there is a comet coming to supposedly like strike the earth or enter the earth's atmosphere the day before election day here in the u.s which was just awesome of course you click it it's total clickbait and it's gonna evaporate in the atmosphere but there is a comet coming on november 3rd so even better better funny news story is Mm -hmm. disney is coming out with the remote control baby yoda which is super exciting yes so 70 dollars gets you baby yoda that you can remote control and there's a setting and this is like the super creepy nightmare that you've always wanted to avoid a setting where it finds you like it follows you and it finds you yes (laughs) are we really are we really testing ideas like this this year 
If Disney goes, that's going to go bad. It's 2020. Come on, Disney. Uh, but also, sucks. They're going to make a killing off that. <laughs> like, bad yeah. ideas. Yeah, they're going to make so much money this Christmas. Oh, my goodness. Yes. So, yeah, definitely keep buying all the Amazon and Google products where they can hear everything that you're doing and <laughs> respond to voice commands. And, and then buy a robot that knows where you are and can find you. That's... That seems like a good place to be in 2020. That's a good point. Good point, Jonah. Yeah. Uh, what about you? What's your funny news story for the week? So, you know, there's different places I've gone to our news sources. Now we just look up Florida news and like there's always something, right? <laughs> Every week, uh, some, someone does something in Florida uh, that I love. Um, apparently a Florida man uh, this last week, just a couple of days ago, stole a bodo, uh, bulldozer um, and he ran down signs for a certain political candidate. Uh, he just stole his bulldozer and like, yeah, just went to town on these various signs. Now I don't, they didn't specify the size of the signs. I was imagining yard signs, but like a bulldozer can do damage, man. Like th these could have been big signs. I'm not sure. Um, yeah, believe it to Florida for getting their, getting their point across, I guess. Wait, so, so there were, there were yard signs that he felt the need to bulldoze. Yeah. So that's what I'm confused about in the story, right? It's like, if something's aren't yard signs, it seemed like a much bigger deal. And like, I feel like this wouldn't be as, as funny, like that's massive destruction property. But at the same time, if these are yard signs, couldn't you have just pulled them out? I don't know. I, I want to know more about this guy. This guy sounds intriguing. I'd, I'd love to sit down and have coffee with this man to see like what's running through his head. Yeah. yeah. You know what? You got to admit though, like when talking, you know, I'm thinking about sports, right? When you say that your team won, you don't want to say, oh, my team plucked your sign out. You want to say my team steamrolled you. I my team bulldozed your team. You know, like so he's just taking that very, very literally and like really <laughs> showing that he's yeah, exactly. the candidate's gonna bulldoze the other candidate. That's mm -hmm. that's fantastic. Speaking of um, bulldozing or not, we're going to talk about ethics and moral dilemmas. How is that for a transition today? <laughs> I love it. Okay. Well, that's the question. Yes. So this is a big, um, call it college word. I don't know. I, I don't remember thinking about it until I was in college. This, this mm -hmm. word ethics, right? And specifically, we're going to talk about moral dilemmas and ethics is essentially kind of the study of or kind of the determining process of what is the right thing to do what is right what is wrong uh for those of you listening who are christians maybe it's what is moral what is immoral what is righteous what is unrighteous and sometimes that's pretty clear cut like you know it's it's a good idea not to bulldoze people let's say that's let's not do that's that fair. right yeah let's not do that not exactly biblical but pretty in line with what we see <laughs> yes right <laughs> yes that's true um so there's there's things you know don't don't steal don't don't rob somebody don't lie and cheat all these different things that seem pretty obvious Mm -hmm. Sometimes, though, you have something called a moral dilemma where different things come into conflict. And I think we face that more often than we realize. And we have to kind of determine, 
what should we do? It seems like there are some competing values here. And there's a classic example of this. And maybe you have another one, Joan, if not, it's okay. But classic example is, and once again, all the classic examples are extreme examples. So this actually happens more often than this. But thinking back to World War II, there's a famous author who came out of that. Her name is Corrie Ten Boom. And her family hid refugee Jews who were running from the Nazi regime. And when the, the, the scenario goes, when Nazis come to her house and they ask her, where are the Jews that you're hiding? Is it okay for her to lie mm. to save the lives of those Jews? So in that scenario, there's, there's some conflict that like, no, it's never okay to lie or uh, yeah, you're going to be saving a bunch of lives. Like, why wouldn't you, like, a lie doesn't compare to the, the lives of several people, right? Mm -hmm. So those are the kind of ethical dilemmas that we find ourselves in. And oh, you go ahead, Jonah, any, any other ones that you can think of? Yeah, I mean, you know, this one's maybe, uh, yeah, another one that's kind of commonly brought up, but, you know, is it, uh, yeah, would it be moral if you could go in time travel um, and kill an evil person who does a lot of harm uh, when they were a baby? Would that be, like, I, I've heard Hitler is the example, oh. right? Would that be moral or ethical? Does he still have a chance? Um, yeah, there, there's a lot of questions like that, though. And another one that I think of, maybe in, in a bit of a different vein, is, is the trolley analogy, right? Uh, you have a trolley that is heading towards um, a, a bunch of people. Uh, it's going to hit them, they're going to die. But if you pull the lever of the trolley, uh, instead, it only hit one person. Is that better? Because it's your fault for pulling the lever. That person wouldn't have died if you didn't intervene. Um, however, you save people. Where's like your responsibility? And I think that connection between responsibility uh, and ethics is, is a really interesting point yes. as well. Yeah. What, re what, what are you responsible for? Um, is, are you responsible for something where you're inactive? Uh, what if you have to make a bad choice because it's the better choice? Yes. Yeah, and I think that's that's really good to kind of bring it down because we think about this and we're like, well, I'm not harboring refugees in a world war or I'm not, you know, having access to time travel. Like, why are we even talking about this? It, yeah. This is actually a lot. Those are the extreme examples we like to use. Um, but this is a lot more relevant. Like this week. So this is we're recording um, the week before the United States election in 2020. And a lot of people are facing this where it's like, how do I vote? Um, for some people, it's very black and white. For others, it's, well, this candidate, I like what they support, but not this part. And the other candidate, I like that other part, but not this other part of what they do. And it's, mm. there's this, how do I vote? And maybe some of them are like, I can't vote for anybody. I just can't. And is that really the right thing to do? You know, and, and there are just different scenarios. So that that's a very relevant one for me this week. And you could, you know, maybe a relevant one would be smuggling Bibles into China or something like that, or, or North Korea. Like, do you lie? Mm -hmm. Well, some say no, some say, well, yes. And let's kind of break that down as, as the kind of the different scenarios and there's a there's a ton of different ways to break this down so these are just the three 
kind of categories that I'm going to be breaking them down into. The first one is this. This is called non-conflicting absolutism. You don't have to remember that at all. Basically, what this says is that uh, here's the reality is God is God and he has established morals and those are absolute. No, it is not okay to lie. And maybe in the trolley example, no, it's not okay to change it. So you murder someone else. Like, no, like God's in control. And if people die, they die. Maybe the thing is going to fly off the rails and it's going to kill nobody. Right. Or, or something like that. Um, but you don't, you don't actively choose to kill someone. You don't lie to protect somebody else because that is that is lying. There won't be a scenario, really, where you have to do something immoral for the sake of doing something moral. They see that as a contradiction in terms, right? So therefore, there is one good candidate to vote for. And perhaps following that same line of thought, there's one bad candidate to vote for. And you see this from both major political parties in a big, big way. That's all the rhetoric, right? Is is at least coming from like Washington and, and most news outlets, right? Um, it's that it's kind of this black and white thinking. And this can be good because it upholds God's moral law and it doesn't leave us to interpret that, which is important because we're weak and we're sinful. So our interpretation can be fought. Jonah, what are your thoughts on, on this one? Yeah, there's kind of another another word that I'd use to describe uh, roughly the same thing called like deontological ethics. Um, Immanuel Kant and a lot of like modernists were, were pretty into it. Um, and part of the reasoning for liking it was that you can't really predict what's going to happen in the future, right? You gave the example of, you know, you pull the lever, you're not liable for that guy's death, but like maybe they would have lived if you didn't pull it, right? You don't know for a fact what's happened. You don't know that um, by not, you, yeah, you don't know that by not or by telling that lie that like the Jews that you're hoarding are going to be safe uh, to go off your earlier example. Uh, all you can really know is what's happening right now. Uh, and you can make guesses, uh, but ultimately you're responsible just for yourself. Um, yeah, and I, I do think that there is uh, kind of a connection between um, looking at your life and, and saying, you know, all, all I know uh, is what's in this moment. And, and that being a good thing in some sense, right? Um, you know, you can also, because if you, if you go too far the other way, uh, you could totally justify, you know, anything and say, oh, I'm going to do this because, um, you know, in my head, this could possibly go in a way that goes right. So I don't need to be moral right now because, uh, you know, this line might actually be good in the long run. Um, yeah. So, so there, there's kind of goods and bads uh, with this one for sure. And I, and I kind of get why, why people do this. And I think for some decisions, it's, it's better than uh, it is for others. The examples we brought up, like you said, were pretty extreme. Uh, but for a lot of examples in life, you do just kind of have to go off of what you know now. Um, more often than not, you do have to just kind of do what you know is right in the moment. So, yeah, that's true. You can't always determine that. And and someone who believes this might respond to the Corey Ten Boom situation, where lying will save lives, with saying, "I I won't tell you," or maybe simply not responding. Right? Yeah. So in that case, you're not lying. You're not giving up the position, uh, the secret hidden location of these refugees. Um, 
But at the same time, you're only responsible for yourself. And really, you're putting yourself in harm's way at that point, right? Mm -hmm. But that, that would be kind of their, their response. And then you have to think about, well, is my life being lost or Corey Ten Boom's life being lost? Is that going to harm the cause too? But mm -hmm. at the same time, what she says, you don't really know. There's been instances where um, God has clearly protected someone and they have not, you know, someone's maybe been invisible to someone else or whatever that is. And a decision is made that you wouldn't think would be made and therefore they're, they're safe, right? They're, they're protected. And we see God's will unfold. You know, my, my big kind of beef with this viewpoint is the fact that we live in a fallen world and there definitely are times where issues conflict. So that leads me to the next thing I wanted to talk about, and that is uh, ideal absolutism. And basically what that talks about is, you know, in a created state, like in the Garden of Eden, or when Jesus comes back and is reigning, that sure, there won't be any moral dilemmas, right? So we've very obvious and easy to obey God's law. But because mm -hmm. we're sinful and we live in a sinful world, therefore, there are things that are in conflict. What this view holds to is we often need to choose the lesser of two evils. So in the case of Corey Ten Boom, let's say, it's she's going to lie so that not only she saves the lives of the refugee Jews, but that she saves her own life as well. And when I think lesser of two evils, I really go back to so many different election cycles. When I was, this is, this is a throwback. I don't know if you knew this, Jonah, but I was actually uh, a general editor for a news website back in 20. 12, when we had the Mitt Romney, Barack Obama election. And, and I heard that a lot, but, you know, how do we vote in this situation, right? You heard that in 2016. I'm hearing it again now. It just, it, it cycles back over and over again. And people go and they vote based off that. They're like, well, this person has a, a value that I care for, and therefore I'm going to vote for this candidate or you know, vice versa. This this candidate has a bunch of values. I mean, they have some some character flaws or they have a big policy flaw, but I'm still going to vote for them because they're a lot better than the other candidates. So that's where I, I see a lot of Christians fall under. And actually with ideal absolutism is the idea that, well, you're choosing lesser two evils, but you're still choosing an evil, mm. you know? So you actually need to confess. So in the case of Corey Ten Boom, she sinned when she lied. So she needs to confess that sin. And voting for a candidate, let's say, against your values, in, in some way, right? Either candidate, right? Both presidential candidates have things about them that are against some of my values. I'll just put that out there. That's the most generic thing I could say. But, you know... In that case, it'd be whichever one to vote for, it would be confessing that, right? Mm -hmm. Whereas 
a non-conflicting one would say, oh, well, there's evil in both candidates, right? So therefore, I'm not going to vote. Hmm. Well, I'm not sure if that's, you know, you might be avoiding the evil, but is that really the best thing to do? Is that the lesser of the evils of the more dilemmas you can put yourself in? That, right. that just like another lesser of two evils, right? Sure. Yeah. Yeah. And that, that question is, it's interesting. There's a lot of uh, that point that, you know, kind of draws me to it. Um, you know, I, I like to imagine that, you know, I think it, it does a good job of making sense of this broken world that we're in um, and how, you know, we, uh, yeah, are, are forced to make these decisions that we might not have to make in heaven or that might not have been uh, made in the Garden of Eden. But at the same time, I think that there's also another kind of biblical conflict I see. And that's really in the incarnation. Did Jesus sin when he faced moral dilemmas? Was his choice in some way just the lesser of two sins? And, and you know, as Christians, we believe that Jesus is without sin. So how does that fit into that? So that, that's a question that kind of I have about that. That's maybe a concern that, that I share with the ideal absolutism, is it would still say that uh, choosing the lesser of two evils is still, still a sin worth confessing for. Um, and Jesus, throughout his life, faces moral dilemmas. And he seems to always find uh, a way, I would say, under it. I would say not around it. I don't think Jesus goes around the moral dilemmas that he faces. I think he gets to the heart of what they're really about and then answers that very often, right? Yes. Uh, be it the question of, of taxation, right? Do we pay taxes to this emperor who is ungodly? And Jesus says, give to Caesar what Caesar is, give to God what's God's. Um, you know, he, he has kind of a way of getting to the heart of issues. Um, and if that's something Jesus could do, is that something we could do as well? Is there secretly a right answer between these choices we make for ourselves that we just miss? So that's kind of, I guess, a concern I maybe have uh, with ideal absolutism. Although, again, um, we're definitely in a broken world. Uh, I definitely don't think we're going to have these kind of moral dilemmas uh, the next side of, of heaven. So a lot of it does appeal to me, even if there's a couple of concerns. Yeah, Jonah, I think that's a really good point that we wouldn't be obedient to God and be sinning at the same time. You know, I think that's, that's really valid. And just see the life of Christ. You know, I, I just don't think you know, another one, this is a biblical example is really similar to Corey Ten Boom is uh, in Joshua. Oh man, Joshua oh, yeah. after four, maybe when you have the story of Rahab, right? Mm. Hiding the spies and she lied to people in Jericho and she wasn't considered as far as I can see from the text it wasn't considered to be sinful for her to do mm. that to protect God's messengers right at the same time you have I was just reading this this week the story of David in second Samuel and he has first and second Samuel I should say and he has lots of opportunities to kill Saul, who's trying to kill him. And as Saul at this point has, he's either has some kind of spiritual oppression going on, or there's, I don't know, there's something really dark happening and he's, he's been corrupted. And it'd be good if David, the, the next North King, it's like takes over and twice he's given the opportunity to kill Saul. And David says, I will not kill the Lord's anointed. Right. Mm -hmm. So even though he has this chance, he does not do that. And it kind of goes into this, this final ethical way of thinking, and that's called graded absolutism. And what that is, is instead of choosing the lesser of two evils, it is choosing what is the greatest good. 
what is the greatest good? So instead of thinking for a political candidate, let's say, it's not, I'm going to choose who's the least bad because they're both bad. It's looking at, well, who's, who might accomplish the most good or kind of systematically, what's, what's the best vote for moving things forward? Or maybe there's a particular policy issue that a voter believes in, and that's what is going to be the, the most, what's going to be the most good despite these other things. And in that case, it's very right to vote. I think the lesser of two evils mindset would lead you to not voting. And that has been me in the past in a presidential mm -hmm. election. I have not voted because I couldn't vote for either candidate. Mm -hmm. And that is not the approach I'll be taking, you know, this week, because I am just throwing my cards out there is, is this is the one where I would kind of lean towards is choosing what's the greatest good. And there are some holes with that, but I want to hear your feedback um, on that one as well. Yeah. So I'm somebody that's pretty interested in like uh, Greek philosophy. And this to me seems a lot like uh, what I'd call teleological ethics, something that like Aristotle talks about. So basically the idea is that uh, telos is the Greek word for end. Um, so there's kind of an end to the choices that you're going to make. You're going to do something because in the end, that's going to be the best outcome. Uh, that's going to be the outcome that is, uh, you know, kind of based off like the Greek value system. Um, you know, it's the most true. It's the most beautiful. Um, it, it has kind of, it's the most virtuous uh, would be, I guess, a good way of saying that. So yeah, really in the end, what is the one that is the most virtuous um, outcome for sure? Uh, yeah, so to me, this is something that I'm more familiar with, and probably like you, I, I would lean the most towards this. Um, is it a perfect system of ethics? No, <laughs> I don't think we live in, in, a, in a perfect world, so I don't think we're going to have a perfect system of ethics. Um, but at the same time, I, I do think that, yeah, it, it, that's something worth, worth valuing. Um, and part of it comes down to that idea of responsibility that we brought up earlier. Uh, you know, maybe I'm, I'm responsible for... Um, you know, going out and voting, kind of using that example. Uh, you know, I have a responsibility to do what I think is going to do to be the greatest good. Um, yes. And focusing more on the responsibility of what you can accomplish as opposed to the fear of what you might accidentally be accomplishing is something worth considering. Yes. Yeah. And, and just realizing that, you know, part of this too is being obedient or doing what you think is the greatest good isn't, doesn't automatically mean sin in that case. So in the, in the case of Rahab or Corey Ten Boom, they lied, but it wasn't considered sinful. It wasn't something to confess because they were being obedient in that Yeah, case. for Rahab, it was counted for her as righteousness. We see in, yeah. Uh, yeah, in the New Testament. like Yeah, Hebrews 11, right? Yeah. I believe, yeah, the Hall of Faith, that's good. The um, just, just to kind of wrap up, and this is where we have to be careful, is the, the hole with this, you know, the big weakness is who are we to determine what is good, mm. right? And a lot of times we can see things in black and white. And, you know, the answer might be, well, I'm going to rely on scripture. Well, sometimes we interpret scripture in a way that fits our worldview or ethics. So maybe that's not, you know, it's, it's a good place to to really, really start and a good foundation for everything. That should be the foundation, right? As we think about this church in context, uh, that should be the foundation, but we have to be careful about 
always thinking we know what is good because I'm going to throw this back to the Corey Ten Boom example in that Nazi Germany thought that exterminating the Jews was the greatest good, that that good was more important than the evil of killing people. And that is where this can be dangerous. We always have to look at ourselves with humility that we could be wrong and really check ourselves, right? Um, not saying that, you know, anyone, that any of the listeners or anyone in their circle is that extreme. I'm not saying that at all, but the fact that we are flawed and we could see things in a way that may not actually be the greatest good. I do think living in the moment, we do have to respond to our own personal ethic, but always be open and responsive, especially to the work of Christ in our life and through the lives of others uh, in determining what is the greatest good. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and I think going off that uh, a little bit, um, yeah, just the idea of, uh, you know, relying on, on scripture as well. I, I think scripture for, you know, what it says is exactly like what, what we should build our lives on. That should be the foundation for our ethics. And I think that a lot of the problems with, um, you know, this kind of a, like view that, that we're talking about now um, are, is solved when you, when you hold it next to absolute morality, which we get from scripture. But there's also questions that aren't directly specified in scripture. Uh, like I don't remember reading a chapter about mask wearing um, anywhere in there, right? There, there's just questions that we are asking today where there's not exactly a clear cut answer. Now scripture, you know, there's the scriptural truth we can pull from, uh, from any given side, but at the same time, there are certain things that aren't laid out as black and white as we would like to. And in that gray area, that's where we can make mistakes. So, yeah. Yes. Always be able to see, see the gray for sure. Um, I would say though, I'm gonna, I'm gonna push back a little bit on the topic of, of mask wearing, right? Is you have, you know, the idea of, well, I guess you're right. This is a little more grace. I was going to say the, the idea of submitting to authority, right? But at what point do we stop submitting to authority if they're asking us to do something that's immoral, right? Yeah. So that's so there is that, that gray area that even comes with that commandment, right? So submit to authority, you know, pay unto Caesar what is Caesar's, right? But at what point do you not submit to authority? Uh, that's hard. And that is, that is great. That's, that's for sure. And yeah, it's as often as you can try not to make things a moral dilemma, but when you get there, here's a couple scenarios for you. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yes. Good. Well, any, um, any closing thoughts, Jonah, before we wrap up? Uh, I guess one is that it's interesting to see what I like believe about ethics and then what I actually do with my life. Cause so often those two things are, are different. And I think that's a point worth thinking about, um, you know, during your day, like maybe, you know, I believe in, in this uh, kind of graded absolutism. I, I believe is what it's called the last one, but in my daily life, oftentimes I'm like, well, I'm just going to do what seems right right now. Um, and not really think about the future, you know, outcomes. And maybe if people came into my house and they were like, Hey, are you hiding? Um, you know, like Jewish people, uh, you know, I, I like to imagine I make the right call in that decision, but in my daily life, it's so much harder to know what the right outcome is, is going to be, right? Yes. So that's just something that's worth thinking about, I, I find. You know, I always talk about ethics. It's fun to talk about. It's a lot harder to actually go in and to live yeah. out and to try to actually model your life after these things. 
and be careful about over applying these principles too. Mm -hmm. So it's a rare situation where it's okay to lie, right? You know what I mean? Even if you believe ideal absolutism or great absolutism, it's, it's a very rare situation. A lot of times, you know, here's an example for me is when it comes to submitting to authority, I'll be like, it's okay for me to speed a little bit. So that way I'm not late to my meeting or late to work or late to class. It's okay to speed. Is is breaking the law really oh, the lesser of the, you know, the lesser evil, you know, is, is, it, is the greatest good getting to class or to work on time or is the greatest good obeying the law? It's not... See me, that's me rationalizing, right? But mm-hmm. it's not really like sinful to be late. It's gonna there might be yeah. some consequences, but you should not break the law. That should be a, a much higher standard. So we have and that's me. I'm just that's just me being open and like saying this is how I rationalize it. So be careful about rationalizing. Yeah, totally. Well, let's uh, transition to our last segment of maybe something that really stuck out to you this week as we look at church in context and something that was really newsworthy, could be really serious. Like last week, we shared some serious ones or maybe not so serious, um, but something that was a big deal to you this week. Uh, you go ahead and go first, Jonah. What are your thoughts? Mine is mine is not super serious. Uh, this, this is a bit of a lighter one. But it's interesting to me. So I put my cards on the table here. You guys know we're from the Pacific Northwest. I'm a Seahawks fan. Throwing that out there. And it's interesting to see how fast public opinion changes after one mistake. Uh, like the Seahawks were thought to be like the best team in the league. And then, uh, or, you know, up there. Uh, and we lost the game by like three points in overtime to a playoff team. And now we're the worst team in the NFL. And it's interesting to see how fast like the internet will uh, will change on people. So I don't know. It, it doesn't really weigh me down a lot, but I've just found that interesting. I, I keep going through all the like Facebook posts and all the Instagram posts by the Seahawks oh, and you know, trash on them for, for barely losing. I don't know. It, it, it's interesting how flippant we are as people sometimes. The Seahawks, I can say this with confidence. The Seahawks are not the worst team in the NFL. There's always the Jets. So worse than the second, you know, the second worst team. Um, okay, I'm going to go and share mine. So mine is, <laughs> and I love this. So kind of speaking of sports too, mine is that the World Series ended this week. And congratulations. I say that with much reservation. Congratulations <laughs> Dodgers for winning for the first time since the 80s. Um, they finally won. But the most perfect way to end the baseball season in 2020 was that the Dodgers star third baseman got pulled in the eighth inning of the last game of the World Series because he tested positive for COVID. He took the test, and I don't understand why they did this. He took the test earlier in the day and didn't get the results back until that late in the game. And then he got pulled from the game, and then they won the World Series, and he goes out and celebrates with all of his teammates, even taking his mask off at sometimes. And... Now he's under like investigation. It's just like such a weird, the, the, the weirdest, most 2020 way to end the baseball season. So there you go. Congrats to the Dodgers. 
um, your star third baseman might get a suspension next year. <laughs> Here we go. <laughs> oh man, I feel bad for for sports like program organizers. There's so many like moral dilemmas that they find themselves in. All right. Well, Jonah, thank you so much for joining me this week. It's been really awesome to connect and excited for next week for our first live podcast. Mm -hmm. Look forward to those of you uh, able to join us. That's going to be November 5th. Church in Context is the YouTube channel. We're pretty easy to find, I think, because actually is a unique name. So look us up and we will see you next week. Have a good one, Jonah. Yep, bye. Adios.